some of us be a little, some of us seem to be a little slower than others at catching on. <laughs> what a segue! <laughs> but uh, to certain truths, and uh, the obvious seems to elude us. And I picked up a copy of this letter that uh, had been circulating, and I'm going to change it so it's not political. But um, it says, uh, "Dear Willie, no." <laughs> oh wait, oh I didn't change it quick enough. Dear son, I'm writing this real slow because I know you can't read very fast. This is the way, there's hope here. You're catching on quick. We don't live where we did when you left. Your daddy read in the paper that most accidents happen within 20 miles of home, so we have moved. <laughs> I won't be able to send you the address because the last family that lived here took the numbers off the house with them for their next house so they wouldn't have to change their address. But the good news is this place has a washing machine. The first day I put four shirts in, pulled the chain, and I ain't seen them since. <laughs> she writes, it only rained here twice this week, three days the first time and uh, four days the second time. Well, you know that coat that you wanted me to send you? Well, Aunt Sue said it would be too heavy to send in the mail with the heavy buttons on it, so we cut them off and we put them in the pockets. <laughs> we got a letter from the funeral home. They said if we don't make the last payment on Grandma's funeral bill, well, up she comes. <laughs> Your sister had a baby this morning. I ain't heard whether it's a boy or a girl, so I don't know what to tell you if you're an uncle or an aunt. Your Uncle John, well, he fell in the whiskey vat. Some men tried to pull him out, but he fought him off. So, well, well, he drowned. And uh, we cremated him, and man, he burned for three days. <laughs> well, I got some sad news for you, too. Three of your friends went off the bridge in a pickup. One was driving, the other two was in the back. So the driver got out. He rolled down the window and swam to safety. Well, the other two drowned. They, could, <laughs> they couldn't get the tailgate down. Well, there's not much news this time. Nothing much has happened. Love, Mama. Well, you know, some of us, you know, are a little slower than others. And it seems that every week that seems to be the case. And particularly as we conclude uh, what we've been discussing as far as the problem of laziness. I don't think some of us have realized yet or come to grips with uh, the seriousness of the problem and the extent in which it controls our lives. Um, how many of you read Jer Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness? Has anyone read that book? I would highly recommend this book, and in it he writes this in one particular chapter. He says, true holiness includes control over our physical body and our appetites. If we are to pursue holiness, we must recognize that our bodies are truly temples of the Holy Spirit and that we're to glorify God with them. Says 20th century Christians, especially those in the Western world, have generally been found wanting in the area of holiness of the body. Says gluttony and laziness, for example, were regarded by earlier Christians as sin. Today we may look at these as weaknesses of the will, but certainly not sin. We even joke about our overeating and other indulgences instead of crying out to God in confession and repentance. Our physical bodies and natural appetites were created by God and are not sinful in themselves. Nevertheless, if left uncontrolled, we will find our bodies becoming, quote, instruments of wickedness rather than instruments of righteousness. We will be pursuing the cravings of sinful man instead of the holiness of God. 
If we watch ourselves closely, we can see how often we eat and drink just to gratify physical desire and how often we lie in bed in the morning simply because we don't feel like getting up when we should. How often we give in to immoral thoughts and looks simply to satisfy the sentient sex drive within us. Michael Coist in his book, The Christian Response, says, If your body makes all the decisions and gives all the orders, and if you obey, the physical can effectively destroy every other dimension of your personality. Your emotional life will be blunted and your spiritual life will be stifled and ultimately will become anemic. Susanna Wesley wrote over 200 years ago, Whatever increases the strength and the authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you. It's interesting, Paul goes on to write and he says, you know, and I urge you not to uh, be conformed to this world. He says, I urge you by the mercies of God not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, many of us are conformed to this world, particularly in the area of laziness. And uh, that's something that we've been discussing and we're going to conclude it today. And, uh, and it permeates our society. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago after uh, the first session that we had, I got a note from uh, a woman in the audience and she wrote, Dear Chuck, thank you for your message on laziness. I see this as a growing problem in the church. I volunteer at a missionary organization and when the boss is gone, the mice do play. It's interesting that there's not much difference. And we find it true. Most uh, surveys, too, Gallup has all kind of polls that come out. And there's not, there, there's, frankly, there's no difference at all between Christians and non-Christians as far as their behavior in our world today. Uh, you know, and you can see it just with our government officials and people who on one, out of one side of their mouth they quote from the Scripture. And out of the other side of their mouth they, they enact things that are totally in opposition to the Bible. And there's a real contradiction there. And we've made it very easy in our society to say that we believe something and yet it has absolutely no impact or bearing on how we live our lives. And talk about the epitome of hypocrisy. I mean, one of the things that turned me off originally to Christianity was that most of the people that I saw that claimed to be Christians were doing things that I was doing and I knew what I was doing was wrong and I didn't know why. And uh, there's a problem there. And uh, like I always like to say, you know, most people kept me from coming to know Christ because I couldn't see Him through their lifestyle. And, uh, you know, some of us have to really deal with some tough issues, and laziness happens to be one of them. So in a, in a better effort to, to gain an understanding of uh, this subtle yet very real problem, we started to divide the problem into three sections. The first section was, and this is where we impress our guests. This is, uh, for the, those of you who are guests, this is called impress the guest section of the time that we have together. The first thing that we talked about were characteristics of laziness. And, you know, don't do this for you, but do it for me. And if you don't want to do it for me, do it for you. But please respond. What are some of the characteristics of laziness as was outlined as far as the Bible is concerned? Please. See, the spiral notebooks would be really cool right about now, huh? <laughs> so it's anybody. Just, you know, impress a guest. Deterioration. Deterioration. That was one of the consequences, but at least you answered. That's good. Well, <laughs> so we'll come back to you in a second. One of the characteristics of laziness, of a lazy person... Yeah? Oh, that was neat. How'd you do that? Other? Okay, lazy person is self-directed. A non-lazy person is other-directed. Oh, 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 okay, good, good, good. Okay, the first thing we talked about was that lazy people need to be directed. They're not self-directed. Okay, I see. They, they, they need to be told what to do or they don't do anything. There's nothing to do if I'm not told to do it. That's just an easy way to live life. Yeah, you know what, though? What really concerns me is you went like this. They fail to plan ahead. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't take much. Okay, they fail to 
they fail to plan ahead. <laughs> that's all you had to do. That's right, you write them down though, that's good too. Yeah, they fail to plan ahead. Lazy people don't plan ahead. They live just for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Who cares about tomorrow? Hey, we may not live till then. Anyway, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Who cares? A lazy person lacks motivation. Okay, lazy person lacks motivation. They're not motivated to do anything. In fact, they don't even meet their own basic needs. If you remember the, the illustration of Proverbs was they had a bowl of something. They put their hand in it to bring it up to their face, and they were too lazy even to get up and get a fork, and they're just going to use their hand. Then once they get their hand in the food, it was like, oh, man, this is a lot of work. I don't know if I can get it to my mouth. So, Yes. They don't maintain what they have. Lazy people don't maintain what they have. It just falls apart. You could see it in neighborhoods. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't take a genius. You drive down the street, you see it. It's like, that is sick. That is going to, you know, it's like, oh, no, there goes the neighborhood. That joke, you know, and there's nothing funny about it. And if you ever had neighbors like that, it, it's not a funny thing. And what's funny about it is, is that it doesn't take much work to just cut the grass. You know? And, yeah, but... <laughs> But the problem is, by the time it's time to cut the grass for some of these people, they need, like, you know, bring in some sheep or something. You know what I mean? It's too late. Okay, they don't maintain what they have. They're not, they're not motivated. They have to be told what to do. Okay, yeah, they want stuff. Everybody has desires, and so few people understand that you have to work for them. That's <laughs> interesting, huh? And, and a lot of that's our fault as parents. They don't set any goals. You know, there's no goals because of the same thing we talked about earlier is that, hey, you live for today. Well, who has goals? I mean, what's the deal? Procrastination. Procrastination. Why do today what you can wait till tomorrow to do? You know? And uh, some of you guys know. You got that list of stuff to do around the house, huh? Huh? Ladies, you got that list going? Anybody have that list? It's all finished? Done. The list is done? The list isn't done. That list never is done. Don't tell me that list is done. That's an eternal list. It goes on forever. It's even alphabetical. Tick, 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 tick. No. Yes? They don't retry their title short. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not true. My wife didn't retie my tie because it was too short. That's the epitome of laziness. It was long until my pants started to fall down. But, um, and you wouldn't know if I would have stayed behind here. Now, I'm all self-conscious. I don't know if we're going to be able to do anything. I, I, I got an attorney joke. <laughs> I know. Oh, you, did you tell him? I know, but I said you couldn't use that one here. <laughs> but thanks for running it by me. Do you want to hear it? You tell it. I'm not telling. Yes? Oh. Okay, they make excuses for not doing the things they should do. It should be done. There's a million reasons. And if you remember, uh, it was there's a lion in the street. I know, I was like, wait for my son to use that one. Hey, Ryan, go get the newspaper. There's a lion in the street. I can't get that newspaper. So anyway, hey, we did really good. Give yourself an applause or whatever you'd like to give. And, uh, and that's true. Those are all the things that we discussed. Those are characteristics. And what's nice about it is those are characteristics according to the Bible. Now we start talking about the consequences. And 
you already got the first one right. The consequences of being lazy are, number one was deterioration. If you don't take care of what you have, it's going to fall apart. It's as simple as that, no matter what it is in life. Whether it's your car, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your business, it doesn't make any difference what it is. If you don't take care of it, you don't maintain it, you don't put effort into it, you don't use some elbow grease, you don't do what you need to do, it's going to fall apart. What was the second thing that we talked about? Trouble. That there'll be trouble in your path. And you know, it's interesting, if you talk about goals and things of that nature, I really believe this. I believe that many people do not accomplish their goals or dreams in life because they simply don't work hard enough to achieve them. I really believe that. I believe many of us don't accomplish our goals. Number one, first we'd have to set them. And there's a good reason that some of us don't accomplish any goals because we don't set any. If you don't set any, you'll hit it every time. And uh, so the problem is that many of us don't set goals. But those of us who do set goals don't achieve them or accomplish them because we simply don't want to put the work in that's required to accomplish the goals that we have. And God says that, you know, laziness is an obstacle or trouble in your path that'll keep you or prevent you from achieving your goals and your dreams. And so, you know, I would encourage all of us, regardless of our age, never to stop dreaming or setting goals or wanting to accomplish things in life and to work hard to achieve those things. And it's pleasing to God to do such. Number three, the third consequence of being lazy is uh, poverty and need. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at these and uh, see what God has to say. But in Proverbs 6, 11, Proverbs 6, chapter 11, it's kind of interesting how the, the whole problem of poverty comes about as far as God's perspective is concerned. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 11. He says, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Or your poverty will come on you like a robber, and your need like an armed man. In Proverbs 13, 4, we also read this. It says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. That's what we talked about. He has desires, but he doesn't do anything to achieve them. And as a result, poverty and need are a result of that. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, the same type of idea is conveyed. And we read, the slugger does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest, and he has nothing. Proverbs 24, 34 says, so your poverty will come on you like a prowler, and your want like an armed man. You know, I, as I read through this, you begin to realize that there, there's, a, there's a certain thought that God is conveying as far as the suddenness of poverty and need. He says, you know, and your want will come on you like an armed man. It's kind of sudden. You know, if you've ever been in an armed robbery or if you've ever been robbed or anything like that has ever happened to you, you know, it comes on suddenly. You know, you're walking. The next thing you know, somebody comes up. You know, you're mugged or you're accosted in a parking lot or whatever. And that happens suddenly. And it would seem almost that it's not fair to assume that our poverty sometimes comes upon us in our life suddenly and without any warning. But the reality of what God is saying is, is that there's always warning that precedes that. And it's not that we're suddenly accosted, but it's that we're in the, in the wrong place over a long period of time. And it's a high crime area, and this is going to happen, and eventually it's going to catch up with you. And it's going to happen to you. If you continue to do the things that God warns us not to do, it's going to come upon you, but it will seem in our mind as if it's sudden. Oh, man, how'd this happen to me? It seems like, oh, it just happened. But it didn't just happen. 
And that's why he uses the, the concept of plowing after the, after the harvest. And when it's time to, to reap again, he didn't do anything after the harvest. And there's been six or eight months that have gone by and he's done nothing. And yet when it's time to be fed and there's no food because you haven't planted anything, it'll seem to him like, man, this just happened to me all of a sudden. And it's not true. And there are many who are lazy uh, that think that the, the problems that they have in life are, gee, it just happened to me. I'm a victim of, you know, either bad times or bad circumstances or whatever. And we need to understand something here, that God is warning all of us that many problems that we're going to have in our life in the future are starting to occur today. Today, you've got to ask yourself the question, do I work hard? Am I lazy? What are the consequences for the decisions that I make today? You know, it's not we wake up with consequences one day. That's always preceded by many things that have led up to that point. You know, it's very few relationships that end all of a sudden one day. You know, it's easy to see that. Very few vehicles fall apart all of a sudden one day, you know, the transmission goes. Well, you know, for months and years they haven't been maintaining the car. For months or years they haven't been maintaining the relationship. Finally, someone says, I've had enough and I'm out of here. And it seems sudden to the person that's not paying attention to what's going on, but it's not sudden. There's warning signals all along. It's, hey, do something about this. And the same is true of laziness. God is warning us that if you do not want to experience the consequence of poverty and need, then you better do something about it today. Now listen carefully. Not everybody who is in a situation of, of a poverty and impoverished situation or in need is there because of laziness. That's just a fact. But, and, but what's wonderful about God is that he is compassionate towards those of us who go through difficult times and find ourselves in need, not as a result of our lifestyle, but because of a circumstance that God has allowed in our life. And as a result, he has a program to help us bear one another's burdens, to meet one another's needs, to help those who are in needy situations, who are in poverty situations, that are not there as a result of their own laziness, but just as a result of the consequences of a society that's doing a sinful world. And God says, hey, I got a plan for that. You do something about that. But let's not minimize the fact that many people are in need today because they violated the principle that God tries to get across as far as hard work is concerned. Many are in that situation. And so we can't throw a blanket over everybody that's in need and say either they're all lazy or they're all not lazy. We've got to examine our own hearts and say, hey, am I in the situation that I'm in because I violated a principle of God? If I am, I need to do what's right before God. If I'm not, then hey, then, then I'm not guilty before God and that's okay. You see, there's a big difference of everything in life as far as that's concerned. So we need to understand that. And the last thing and probably the most indicting thing to me in the whole area of being lazy and it's not found in the book of Proverbs, but it is found throughout Scripture, is that for the Christian there will be a loss of reward. The most incredible thing, and, and uh, uh, we had a friend that came out from Minnesota this week. He was here for a couple of days try to get his skin pigmentation back to where it needed to be. And, um, <clears throat> and, and uh, it was a scary thing because he was blinding cars. You know, we had to like throw like a coat over him and everything. It was like... <laughs> You know, planes were erratically flying through space. And, and, uh, but anyway, he said that he had heard Billy Graham being interviewed. And I thought it was interesting because at the end of the interview, he was asked when he saw God face to face, what he wanted to ask him or what he wanted to hear from him. And he said, you know, he said, the one thing that I want to hear more than anything in my whole life is for Jesus to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the interview, I'm asking the question. 
that just stopped me in the tracks when I heard his response. But she said, do you think that you'll hear that? And you know what he said? I'm not sure, but I sure hope so. You know, and as I, as I, as I thought about that response, I thought about the whole issue and idea of laziness. See, because to many of us, we see him as doing just tremendous work for the Lord over a long, long, consistently long period of time. And we say, if anybody should hear that, you know, you would think that Billy would hear that. But see, he knows something about himself and about his own heart and about his life that none of us will ever know. And so the real question that you ask yourself is, am I doing everything that I can in my service to the Lord? See, and he can only answer that. And we could say, well, you're certainly doing more than me. <laughs> you know, and I sure hope you hear it. Because if you don't, man. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, to me it was a, a tremendous indictment against me and my life before the Lord. Am I going to hear that? I don't know. See, because I know some things about my life where maybe I'm dogging it and I'm not doing all that I can do that God wants me to do. And I rationalize it and I justify it and I try to balance all the balls and, you know, you try to balance family and business and ministry and all the things that we all try to do. And you ask yourself all those questions and you kind of give yourself the answer that you want to hear. But, you know, in light of what we're discussing as far as laziness is concerned, I could ask myself a question. Am I just lazy sometimes? By God's definition. Not by yours, not by anybody else's, but by God's definition. And you've got to ask yourself the same thing. You see, there's a definite... And in fact, read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 14 talks about the problem of losing our rewards before God. Not doing all that God intended us to do. And having a million excuses. Why? But we already know that excuses are a characteristic of a lazy person. So it's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? But you need to ask yourself the questions. Now the good part. Ah, you'll feel better now. Because after all, that really is the most important thing, isn't it? Hallelujah. Okay, what's the cure for laziness? The cure for laziness. And we're going to wrap it all together and put it together. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. You know what's interesting? I mean, if you stop and think about it, ask yourself the questions. The obvious answers are very simple, right? What's the cure for laziness? Number one, hey, I need to be self-motivated, right? If lazy people need to be told what to do, I shouldn't wait around for people to tell me what to do. I should initiate action. I should just do something. So that will take care of that. Number two, if lazy people don't plan ahead, then maybe I should start planning ahead. That's an, that's an obvious thing, right? What, what, what else do we learn? What else should we do? Yeah, maintain things, right? Take care of things. You know, when people drive up, hey, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you own a house, make sure that it looks nice. You don't have to spend a lot of money and spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to landscape this or that. Hey, cut the grass, trim it, make it look presentable. That's all you've got to do. If the paint's coming off, then slap some paint on it. Little stupid things like that. All you have to do is take care of it. If your car needs washed, wash it. If you need to change the oil, change the oil. This is, man, this is deep theology here, isn't it? This is some tough stuff. But it's true. That's all you got to do. Look presentable. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of money. You know, you don't even have to buy that stuff on that infomercial that you spray over your head. You know, you, you don't have to buy that stuff. You know, just whatever you got, clean it up and look good. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to do it. 
I mean, just little things. Maintain yourself. You know, maintain your relationship. Spend some time with your wife or your husband. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Spend, spend some time, you know, I haven't done it for a while. You know, hey, you know, little things like that, right? What else would you do? You know, be motivated. Set some goals. Do something with your life. You know, it's like, geez, you know, some of us, you get to the end of the road, and it's like, what was, what was this all about? Well, in your case, not much. Um, you know, but that's what you got to ask. You know, this, I'm, I'm just trying to spark a little bit of, of antagonism here in your life to try to get you off, you know, your keisters there, and do something. Um, but what's the cure for laziness? Here's an interesting thing. Now, it's funny. God just to say, well, get off your couch and go get a job, you bum. You know, it's not in here. Uh, might be in the living translation somewhere. <laughs> But it's, you know, for the most part, I haven't seen that. But here's interesting ideas that he shares, right? Look, he says in uh, Proverbs 6, verse 6. He said, okay, you lazy butt. Go to the ant, you sluggard, and observe her ways and be wise. All right? So he says, hey, learn from the ant. Saying, you lazy, go look at an ant. Now, for some of you, unless it crawled on your nose... It may be some effort to go look at one, right? But he's just saying, learn from the ant. This is really interesting to me. It's like, why didn't he say, learn from the bull elephant? Learn from a Clydesdale. Give me something masculine here, you know? Something big and strong. And, I, you know, it's like, learn from that. But he doesn't say that. He says, learn from an ant. The imp, you know, what he's implying here is there's some humility involved here. And almost like to take a good look at an ant, you've got to get down on your knees. And maybe that's where this whole thing starts. Maybe we ought to all get down on our knees and ask God to forgive us for being as lazy as we are and complaining about everything in life. And we just get down and we kneel down and we look at a little ant. Now let me ask you something. With all the rains we've had in Southern California, all 20-some inches of it, and uh, how many of you have had any ants come by your house? Huh? Have you seen them? Have you seen them? What have you learned from these things? What? Anybody? Huh? They're tenacious. Aren't they? Man, it's like you try to kill them. They just don't die. Every day, man. Or they like, I mean, that's a, we, oh, ants again in the kitchen. Oh, man. It's like, we, you know, we took all the food we had out. I think it was just a plan so we'd eat out every night, but I don't know. Somehow it had something to do with ants. I don't know. But it's like they're all over the place. And you spray them. And you beat them. And you clean them up. And they keep on coming. And you smack them. And they just go, get off me. And they kind of flip, you know, just kind of like, I was going to say flip you off. But that's not what, I mean, if you're like, but that wouldn't probably be the right thing to say. But, but they're all over the place. So they're tenacious. What else are they? Do you ever see how strong they are? They're hard to get rid of. They just keep coming back. No matter what you do, you can't discourage them from coming back. But they do. They just keep coming back, right? You ever see like the cartoons where they show like, you know, ants going into a picnic and they're carrying the basket out, you know, and then they're carrying the people out, you know, and they're carrying all the stuff out? I mean, they're the strongest. I mean, you've never seen anything so strong. So if you look at these things and you realize God's saying, hey, lazy person, go look at an ant. Look how much stuff they can do. They can do, see, they can do more than you could ever imagine they could do. Isn't that true? Think about this. What if that's true of you and I? What if you 
could do more than you could have ever imagined you could do in your life. And you're not doing it. What if one obstacle that God throws in your path to see how tenacious and persistent that you are, what if that obstacle is just a test to see how bad you really want what the desire of your heart is? And you let it stop you from doing what you know you should do. See, nothing will stop an ant. They're tenacious. They're persistent. They're strong. They have endurance. And what's amazing to me is they're all over the place. Wouldn't it be great if God's people were like that? Every time you get rid of one, like 600 more came up. (laughs) you imagine what it would be like in business? Let's get rid of that guy, man. We're sick of hearing him share. We're sick of his ethics. We're sick of his morals. Let's get rid of him. Now get rid of him. And five more appear. It'd be like one of those alien movies, you know? You, you step on it, and all of a sudden there's like thousands of them now instead of just that one big ugly one. Well, I don't know if that's a good, good description of Christians, but... Yeah, maybe. It might be. But think about it. They're persistent. They do more than that you ever think. And here's, here's what we do, right? It's like when we get so bombed with so many things to do, you know what we ask for? Oh, please please, somebody else do some of this stuff. I'm so busy. i got so much to do. See, instead of asking God to give us broader shoulders to carry the load that he wants us to carry, we ask somebody else do it. See, my whole prayer life's messed up. I hate when I study this stuff because I figure out how messed up I am. But it's like, you know, I need to be praying, Lord, you know what? Give me more strength. Give me more endurance. Give me broader shoulders to carry what you want me to do for you in this life while I'm here. Because if you get this scrawny little ant and you're telling me to learn from it and I'm learning all these things, then what you're trying to teach me is that I need to become more like an ant. I need to be more persistent. I need to be more tenacious. I need to be... I need to want to do more instead of wanting to do less. Now, the point in all this is very interesting, and that is I think the human tendency is to do the least amount and try to get the most out of it. Do the least amount of work and get the highest amount of money. You know, if you got a test, you only study. What's going to be on the test? Why? Because I don't want to study anything else. That doesn't make any sense. What's going to be on the test? Oh, and then, you know, and then you hear your kids. That's not fair. What wasn't fair? Well, I got a C. Why'd you get a C? Well, because he put stuff on there that wasn't supposed to be on the test. Well, can you just die? That's just not right. That's just not fair. And so that same kid goes to the work into the workforce, and what do they say? What's my job description? Why? Because I don't do anything that's not on my job description. Well, why not? Well, because I don't get paid for it. Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. Well, we certainly don't want to ask you to do anything more than's on your job description. So here's your job description. Just do everything. That's not fair. Well, why not? That's just not right. Why? And so this is what happens. Oh, what time do we, we punch out at the end of the day? What time do I work? Nine to five? Oh, at 4.30, man, I was like, clean the desk off, move this paper here, do this to that, do what to what, get on the phone. Hey, yeah, what are you doing after work? Yeah, yeah, I'll meet you there. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Five o'clock. I'm out of here. Right? That's the way we are. That's just the way it is. We only do as much effort as we need to do. It's as simple as that. It's interesting, isn't it? Working hard. You know what's amazing to me? It seems like, you know, work. Work's the only place in, in life, the only area of life and government where there still are some conservatives. <laughs> you know, stop and think about it for a second. Came up with that one on my own last night. But 
after hearing something on the news. Um, number two, note the consequences. Proverbs 24:32. What does he say? Observe the consequences. And if you look at Proverbs 24, he says, "I went by that field." Proverbs 24:30. It says, I passed by the field of the lazy person, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Listen to what he says. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and I received instruction. So many of us just buzz through life and we miss everything that God's trying to teach us. He said, I saw this broken down field. I saw the walls falling down. I saw thorns and nettles all over this, this vineyard. And I stopped and I looked at that real good. And I said, you know what? I should learn something from that. I should learn something from that. I said, man, I considered it. It's interesting. Same words used in uh, the book of Hebrews where it says, consider Jesus. And the whole purpose of considering things in Scripture is for the purpose of coming to a conclusion so that it changes the way we live our life. It's for a purpose of making a decision. So he said, I went by this field. I saw it was all broken down. You know, I looked at it really close and I considered it for the purpose of coming to a decision in my life, and the decision's very simple. I'm not going to let that happen to me. Happen to me. I learn from that. I don't want to be impoverished. I don't want to have the consequences of laziness in my life. And therefore, I must do something to prevent it. And that is, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm not going to let it happen to me. And as a result, I'm not going to let it happen to my kids. Why? Because I want to teach them what God says is right about work ethic, about working hard, about earning their way through life. What it means not to be just handed things, but what it means to put in extra effort. What it means to study things that aren't going to be on the test for the purpose of knowing it, just in case it ever comes up in the future. In case they're ever on jeopardy. <laughs> you never know. I mean, you know. You know, studying things you don't have to study. Putting in extra effort and helping somebody else do their job to be better at what they do, even if it's not on your job description. Staying a little longer and getting a task finished that needs to be complete because you have a deadline and not because I only work till 5 and I'm out of here at 5 o'clock. Knowing what it means to put in some extra effort for the purpose of developing a work ethic again and for the purpose of being a testimony to a lazy world. See, that's what we need to learn from all this. What have you learned? Man, I learned I, I don't want things in my life to deteriorate. I don't want obstacles to prevent me from accomplishing my goals and dreams that God has placed in my heart. I'm not going to let that happen to me. And how am I going to accomplish it? I've got to work hard to do it. And you know why? Because the bottom line indictment of all of, to all of us is this. Is that we need to serve the Lord with our whole heart. And work is an area that we can be obedient Work is an area we can do what God expects us to do. You will never find anywhere in the Bible that says God is satisfied with you or I when we do anything less than serving Him with our whole heart. When we're diligent, when we're dedicated, when we're intense for our love for Him, you won't find anything else in Scripture that says, hey, you know what, why don't you love me half-heartedly? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your heart, all your strength, with all of your being. And that you love your neighbor the same way. There's nothing halfway about following Christ. It's everything. You know, when you go through it, seek first, before anything else, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Put Him first. Jesus said in Luke 14, No one, no one of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. Everything. 
wholehearted, 100%. You know, no reservations. Totally sold out and committed to do what God wants me to do while I'm here on this earth. Nothing short of that. Psalm 42.1, David said, As a deer pants by the water's brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. I get a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they'll be satisfied in this life. A whole hearted, 100% commitment to God and the things of God. Can I ask you a difficult question that I ask myself? Is that really true of your life? Or do you got them squeezed into your little schedule over here? Here's where I go to church, and here's where I go to Bible study, and then the rest of my life is I do whatever I want to do. But you see, that's not true of Christianity. That's true of religion, but it's not true of Christianity. Because Christianity is, hey, you know what? I've been crucified with Christ. I don't even exist anymore. In the life I now live today in my flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God who loved, loved me and gave himself up for me. He lives within me. I don't even exist. And so there can't be anything but 100% dedication and intensity and love for God. And if you look at that, you go, man, you know what? Look at Colossians 3, 22 through 24. And ask yourself the question, is that true of your life? Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, and it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Because we already know you can't please men. You can't please your boss. You can't please him. You can't please her, no matter how hard you try. And so what happens is we have this disincentive. You know, we try and it didn't work, so now we don't have to try anymore. But the reality of it is you don't work for them. You work indirectly for them and you're to submit to their authority and that's the structure that's laid out in Scripture. But the reality of it is you work for God. You serve Him. And so whether your boss is there or not there, you should be working to serve the Lord. That's what our responsibility is. It doesn't make any difference whether a teacher's in a room or not in the room. You study and you do your work because you're serving the Lord. You're not serving a teacher. Whether the coach shows up at the field, you go out and you practice and you work hard and you discipline your life because you're not serving that coach or whoever it is, but you're serving the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, if you're serving the Lord with your whole heart, you can't help but to please men because you'll be the best employee, you'll be the best player, you'll be the best pupil, you'll be the best whatever it is that you do. And so as a result, you've got to ask yourself some tough questions. And I've got a few stories that I wanted to share with you, but I'm just going to pick one because I think it epitomizes everything that, that, um, that we're trying to talk about in the area of laziness, particularly when it means serving the Lord with all of our heart. The question is, do you always do your best? And um, it, it's an interesting question because it was one that was asked um, of pr- former President Jimmy Carter says that uh, he had applied for a position in the uh, United States Nuclear Navy and Admiral Hyman Rickover was the head of the United States program at that time. And this is, this is a true account of a meeting that he had with this particular admiral. And he said this, he said, For many years, Admiral Rickover was the head of the United States Nuclear Navy and his admirers and his critics held strongly opposing views about the stern and demanding admiral. And for many years, every officer aboard a nuclear submarine was personally interviewed and approved by Rickover. 
those who went through those interviews usually came out shaking in fear, anger, or total intimidation. This is the account of former President Carter at the time when he went in for his interview. He said, I had applied for the nuclear submarine program and Admiral Rickover was interviewing me for the job. It was the first time I met him and we sat in a large room by ourselves for more than two hours. And he let me choose any subjects I wished to discuss. Very carefully, I chose those about which I knew most at the time. Current events, seamanship, music, literature, naval tactics, electronics, gunnery. And he began to ask me a series of questions of increasing difficulty. He said, in each instance, he soon proved that I knew relatively little about the subject that I have chosen. He always looked right into my eyes and he never smiled. And I was saturated with a cold sweat. Finally, he asked a question and I thought I could redeem myself. He said, how did you stand in your class at the Naval Academy? He said, since I had completed my sophomore year at Georgia Tech before entering Annapolis as a plebe, I had done very well. And I swelled my chest with pride and answered, sir, I stood 59th in a class of 820. I sat back and I waited for him to congratulate me, but that never came. Instead, the question, did you do your best? I started to say, yes, sir, but I remembered who this was and recalled several times at the academy when I could have learned more about allies, enemies, weapons, strategy, and so forth. And I was just human, so after all, I finally gulped and said, uh, no, sir, I, I didn't always do my best. He looked at me for a long time and turned his chair around to end the interview. He asked one final question which I'd never been able to forget nor to answer. He said, why not? And he turned his chair away from me and he faced the window. And that was the end of our interview. What a burning question. Why not? You've got to ask yourself the same question and so do I. Do I always do my best? Do you? In every area of your life? In your relationships at home? In your work ethic on the job? At school? On the playing field? Wherever you may find yourself? Do you serve the Lord with your whole heart? And do you always do your best? Because as a husband and as a father and as a coach... There's only one thing that I ever expect of anybody that I come in contact with in my life. And that is that you just do your best. You can't control the results. And you're not always going to win. But you can walk away and you can stand before the Lord and say, I did the best with the gifts that you've given me. I always did my best. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because I know that if I always do my best, that I'm going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you always do your best? Why not? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to uh, look into your word once again, just to see what you have to say about the problem of laziness. God, how pathetic it is that we hear people in their teens and 20s and 30s and 40s complaining about how burned out they are in life, how hard they've worked and they're 30 years old. God, help us to understand that we need to get on our knees before you and we need to ask you for forgiveness. We need to ask you for broader shoulders to bear the load that you have for us in this life. We need to understand that uh, you're there also. You tell us to cast our cares upon you and that you'll care for us.
that we're not in it alone, that we don't have to shoulder the burdens of the world, but only those which you have given us and those which you tell us that you'll help us to bear. God, help us also to be those who will bear one another's burdens. Help us to see the consequences of laziness in our society. Help us to see the consequences of disobedience to your word. Help us to understand that we need to get back to the truth of the word of God. God, and help us, each one of us who call ourselves Christians, help each of us to always do nothing less than our best. And may we long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. God, we just thank you for that and praise you for, in Christ's name. Amen.